Hi, it's John Krasinski, Pittsburgh Soccer Now. We are on sounding off on soccer. We've got a, a few things to sound off on tonight. Uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds, for one. Pitt men's soccer, a couple uh, topics to sound off on. So first, we're going to jump into the Riverhounds because last night, Mark Goodman, soccer rabbi. Mark, uh, it's great to have you here on the pod. And uh, you dried out from last night's wet experience. It was, uh, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't get drenched. Uh, I did photography, so that's the only reason I was outside. All those hoity-toity fancy pants soccer writers are up in the luxurious press box at Highmark yeah. Stadium. That's a joke for those of you who've either never been to Highmark or don't really know what I'm saying. The, the Highmark press box is is a converted um, uh container you know like it's a, like a it's like a trailer on top it's of an 18 hand. it's like the backside of an 18 wheeler right <laughs> and um but but i was outside shooting photos for about the first 45 minutes um yeah it was it, it it was wet uh but it wasn't that cold and so i don't really think and and there was never really heavy rain so there was never an accumulation on the field that would slow the ball so the like i wanted to we all kind of wanted to ask players and coaches like did it affect the game? But it was so kind of patently obvious that it didn't, that it wasn't even worthy of a question in the post game. So it's interesting. I mean, it was a, it was a, it was kind of a regular, regular old soccer game. The conditions notwithstanding, they, they, the conditions actually were not, were not of any substance to, to some degree. So anyhow, that's the yeah. weather report from Highmark. That's the weather report and the re match report you, which you provided uh, on Pittsburgh Soccer Now. You know, the Hounds come out on a losing end. Uh, if you look at social media, you look at some of the fan response, it, it, there's a lot of people really, really down on this team. But after the match, you know, the Hounds lose one nothing to the team that's leading really all of USL Championship right now, San Antonio FC. They lose one nothing. a later goal. They're now 15-9-8, I believe. And they're sitting at 53 points. They're in six out of the seven teams, everybody's clinched playoff spots, but they're sitting six. They could end up anywhere from six to third still mathematically. Um, I think you wrote that, you know, in, in your match report that this, this for all intents and purposes with two games to go, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to land a home uh, playoff and, and end up in fourth place. So Mark, uh, let's just start with, Last night's match, you know, one nothing against a really good team. Bob talked about this in la prior to playing San Antonio, that they would be big. They'd be physical. They would find ways to just really test their defenders. And they were they're pretty direct. So with the weather being what it was and, and just kind of this everything, what, what were you what were your takeaways from last night's one nothing loss for the Hounds? Well, for starters, the lineup was interesting. Um, Bob went with effectively a four, two, three, one. And his back four, I turned to the um, director of communications of the Riverhounds and I said, how am I supposed to read the back line? I don't I don't recognize it because in my experience, the four the four guys who were playing full back and center back, the full backs were center backs. They're guys that Bob normally or at least have the size of center backs. Shane Wheat is a left back who is big enough to be a center back. Mikel Williams is a former right back who has been moved inside to play center back. Um, and Jelani Peters and um, Arturo Ordonez are also big guys who generally play center back. So Bob started four center backs and the, the logic at, at, and two of them were at the fullback positions. And the logic of that was exactly to your point, John, which is mm -hmm. this team that they were playing San Antonio is big and they are physical. We're going to match them for size, and we're going to match them for height, and hopefully that'll work. And and overwhelmingly, it did. Um, I don't think there was a lot of action in the box um, for San Antonio in the first half, or even in the first twenty minutes of the second half. And that's, I think, to the Riverhounds' credit that they did an excellent job in the middle third of the field, both holding possession, challenging for first balls and second balls. Um, going into so-called duels, both aerial and ground duels, and winning them, or just making it really hard to play through them. And the direct stuff, the skipping the middle third to go from the, the defensive third to the offensive third, um, San Antonio wasn't super successful at. Just uh, it, it was hard to latch onto a ball and 
and direct and accurate pass. So that worked for 60 minutes. And so I think Bob's theory was good. The other thing I'll note um, to your point about how fans were a little frustrated online and Steel Army folks were talking to me during and after the game about it. Um, and the reporters up in the box were also a little bit um, concerned about how the Riverhounds head coach, Bob Lilly, was going to react is, well, they lost again and they lost late and um, they they didn't really generate much um, offense. They, they, they did a good job of of holding the ball and getting into the final third. And then there was a whole lot of like running around and recycling without shooting. And that was like a bit of a frustration. But the counterpoint to that is, you know, this is a team that has kind of underperformed against such low level teams in the league like Loudon and uh, Red Bull New York too, right? And Bob Lilly's point in the postgame was, I was really proud of the guys. They played real hard against the best team in USL and they matched up for 60 minutes. And what we need to do is match up for 90 minutes. And so his takeaway, which I thought was really, really good, was this team is very good. They look very good. Um, we, thank God, we did not fall apart um, and play poorly down to the level of our, our opponent. We played up to the level of our opponent. But the result wasn't there, but this is a good sign going into the playoffs. And I think that that was a good spin by Bob. If you are a fan of the Riverhounds, though, you may be more results oriented and think to yourself, like, Bob, we didn't get three points. Uh, we choked at the in the 86th minute, and this is a bad sign going into uh, the playoffs. I would say, John, in my long-winded answer, both things can be true, right? right. They could be playing up right. to the level of their opponent and putting themselves in good position for the playoffs. And they could be terrifying all the fans with the fact that they keep choking in, in late game situations. I think that's, there's a theme this last few weeks, for sure. There's been that, I mean, even if you look at the Louisville, they played Louisville city to a nil, nil draw, very similar game to last night. Very similar uh, in terms, I think maybe even more physical, uh, although I think Bob wanted to match body for body it, with the back four with, you know, their um, San Antonio's attackers, but, but a similar result, similar type of match, because this is how do you play the top? That's a top team in the East and the top team in the West. So how do you approach, how do you play those teams? And I think Bob needed to see, and he was very, he was equally pleased with the effort against Louisville city and even though they lost at Birmingham, I think he, he had a sense that, yes, he was disappointed in the result. He's, it's been a theme. This is what he keeps saying. I'm disappointed in the result. Then the same thing happened when they played a, uh, the 1-1 draw with Orange County. You know, dis disappointed with the result, but he yeah. was fairly pleased with the effort. And yeah, one of the it's a theme. And I think that the question is, I think it's like, you, you already clinched for the playoffs. You always want your team playing well going into the playoffs. Or is the question, Mark, are they getting themselves ready for the play? I don't know. Like, that's kind right. of what's the what's the where are they in that kind of. And, and I think the concern, my concern would be for in the last five games, four goals. And I, I think that's where is it just that they're readying themselves to scrap and play these playoff type games and just kind of figure out how to defend right now and really just be able to be prepared for what the best that some of these teams can throw punches that can throw at them. Now the question is, have they been taking less chances? Their midfields possessing the ball. Well, mm -hmm. I think it was 66% last night, like you said, in the final third, they have no solution. So I don't know. Those are just some of my thoughts. Yeah. Um, there were two things that I noticed one, one Bob alerted us to, and I thought that was an astute observation that I hadn't really noticed. And it's, it's really for me about, and this is like to get like big and meta and spiritual about soccer. Um, like how do you, as a coach, create the best situation for your team? Um, so your point about the midfielders controlling things, they just looked very active and very involved and they were, they were cutting and dribbling and moving, moving in directions that really created. And uh, it looked like good soccer, right? You saw 
Danny Griffin, you saw uh, Robbie Mertz on the ball, moving in directions, creating angles, you know, dishing and moving and, and flowing in very good ways. And, and Bob's point that I don't think I'd noticed, which I think is a really great observation about how to play good soccer was, and a thing that he's been complaining about in um, past games is, and a thing that you'll hear, and you've heard this because you've been to training even more than I have in the last couple of years, Bob loves to yell at the sideline when a ball is played in the midfield or into the final third, and he'll just scream at the top of his little, don't play a square ball, right? And for those of us who either coach soccer or know a little bit about soccer, what he's saying is, you know, when both of the, the, the passer and the receiver are facing each other, that's a square ball. And it's very hard in a high-level soccer, professional soccer environment to turn that into anything. Because there's a defender on that guy as soon as as the ball arrives. Like, he's got to either, you know, do a tricky move or recycle the ball to, to a third player and then give and go. There's a lot of things you can do on a square ball, but Bob has been watching the Riverhounds choke on square balls all year long. Yeah. And what Bob said last night that I really liked was we had a lot of guys receiving the ball facing forward. And that was really, really good. I think we did that more than anything else in the, in the, uh, this more yesterday than any other game of the year. I noticed and, that I, that's the thing he likes. He yeah. wants to see guys receiving the ball, facing the goal and in on the move. And that's I mean, a good sign. Your point though still stands, mm -hmm. which is that's great. Getting Robbie facing forward as he enters the final third of the field is wonderful. But if he immediately meets a defender, chooses not to shoot and recycles it into the corners it doesn't do much good in the end no i i i've noticed that too and i it's also like it's interesting because he'll go back and forth between the four two three one and the three like the three five two or the three you know the yeah you want to call it the five four one just something he mixes things up tactically and that's fine i think he has a lot of faith in those especially those three center midfielders to be able to still kind of own the middle of the field and, and really match up against anybody because they thought they did well against the best really Louisville and to the point where Louisville was playing so direct that day I think it was a result of the same thing like they just they're doing a good job in initiating possession getting it to the final third but I think a lot of teams don't even fear the hounds in the final, that much in the final third is they right I, I think there's a lot of simple man marking and saying, okay, you know, let, let, uh, you know, Russ is around, let Albert Deke be, be, beat our guys one-on-one. -on -one. And I think that, you know, that helps some of these other teams, um, you know, in terms of being able to not have to worry about putting too many numbers behind the ball. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just think that that's something there, but, but to your point though, the four, two, three, one and playing and, and getting those, maybe I've noticed, especially in the four, two, three, one, they, they play more diagonal balls. And they they they're a little bit more effective with the diagonal balls in the four two three one than they are most of the other formations. But again, it's because they're using. Are they using Alex Dixon appropriately now? Like he that the guy I know he's in a drought. I know last night he really should have scored. That was a terrific strike attempt in this early in the second half. But are they using Alex Dixon effectively? You know that are. Danny Rivera, you know, is, is the other option right now. Uh, Nathan Dos Santos is out for the season, essentially, on the left side. So, what are the wing? I just feel like their their winger options in the first half of the season. Dixon was dynamic. He was at a very high level, and it just seems like he's dropped off. At least his production has dropped off. I mean, he's still solid, does a lot of things well, but he's not create. I mean, he's not the playmaker he was yeah. last year. And he's not the playmaker he was the first half of the season. And I think that's a concern is that not just Alex Dixon, but they don't have those playmakers out on in the width. They're, they're relying on these the central midfielders to, you know, to keep the ball, you know, to, to get the ball to, into that final third. But in the final third, there's there's very little yeah. happening. There's a there's a all of that is true. I'm not going to argue with any of it. Um, all of that is true. And and there's another wrinkle that you could add to that when you talk about Hound's final third, which like that could be like it. It could be its own podcast. The Hound's final third. Let's talk about it. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. um, 
Um, which and and um, I want to give credit to Jaron Steele, who uh, is the beat writer for the Tribune mm-hmm. on the River Hounds, and um, we were having a good conversation as the game was beginning about the River Hounds kind of icing out Dane Kelly. That Dane Kelly's mostly been either coming off the bench or not playing at all for several weeks. Yeah, and the question being like, what's up with that? Um, Albert Dequa's had a bunch of goals and he's been looking very good, but I'm a big guy with the advanced metrics and expected goals. And so we took a look at the numbers on Dane Kelly versus Albert Dequa as your center forward in the formations that Bob Lilly's been playing with all year. There can only be one, right? Like you can't, he doesn't play these mm-hmm. days a two striker system. And even if you were playing a two striker system, I don't think Dequa and, um, Kelly would mesh very well. So the question then becomes, basically, my take is this. Dequa has more speed and his dribbling ability is very, very good. His first touch is a little bit questionable sometimes on receiving a ball. Um, and the numbers basically say that his expected goals uh, are are good, but his actual goals are below his expected goals. And what that means is he doesn't convert all the chances that he should. It's not real low. It's off by like 0.97 or something. It's like one goal. He's one goal under what you would expect. Dan Kelly's the opposite. He converts goals. And so is Russell Cicerone. Um, They convert goals that you would not expect them to convert. However, they don't get into as many spots as Dequa does. Dequa is probably the best in the team at breaking lines and receiving a ball that in, in a good in a dangerous position. So that's the trade-off that you have to go with. And then the last thing I'll say is this. Neither of them is uh, Duba, right? No, neither of them is uh, Dos Santos, who's now with Tampa Bay, who used to be with Bob, in the sense that he was a guy who was fast, who could dribble, um, who could break lines. But most importantly, he was big. And he could rise up and pound it home with your head, with his head. And I think the Riverhounds don't really have that. And that's to your point about the wing options and with wingers being productive of like, if the Riverhounds don't have guys on the wing that are going to bend in that dangerous early cross or that perfect cross and pound it home with a head, you know, that's that's potentially the other thing I'm going to say is this, the the Riverhounds, one of the reasons they don't they, they do great things in the middle third and then they get into the final third and they're just kind of stymied is that they don't have a very fast counterattack transition game. And they haven't really inculcated that this year. They're more interested in possessing the ball and being in positions to defend. And if you're going to do that, um, it's going to limit some of your options, both from the wing and from the strikers at getting in. Last night, I don't think there was real. There was like one moment in the first half that I noticed. And maybe I'm missing some because, you know, I was trying to warm up uh, after the half. And so there were like 15 minutes (laughs) where my brain was still not fully uh, receiving all the blood and oxygen. Um, but, uh, there, it just seemed like there was only one like big transition moment where the river hounds beat the opponent down the field to get into a shot. And they just need to do more of that. If they want to, if they want to win games, they just need to be able to attack with three guys in transition quickly. Um, and without, without taking an, an extra touch. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. And I, I do think they take a little Bob, Bob has, coached this team for the most part of this season and really last season taking willing to take risks. And I think it's opened up some things for them, Uh, but it also opens games up and he doesn't like that. We know that. And they, I, but I think the last three or four games that we've been really focused and talked about um, here about how they've been playing nip and tuck really tight playoff level type matches that, I, I don't think he's – I think he's – they've been a little bit more conservative in terms of what they're doing. I, I, I do. And I do think, too, that Deke – I think they're trying to – like I said, I think they're trying to scrap their way through these match – these type of, like, Louisville City, San Antonio. These are sort of test matches, but they're also sort of filling things out. Um, I don't know if they wanted to take too many chances in the – late in the regular season when you pretty much already secured a playoff berth. Um, not saying that they're playing for ties or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I just, I don't think they're really trying to open things up. Now, that being said, I, I, like I said earlier, I think there's 
they're missing that ability to stretch those defenses. And I think when Dixon is playing at a high level, he's he's forcing he's forcing two defenders to come out on him to to, to deny him. And I, I think that's that's one factor right now. I don't think there's anybody's really scared of it. They're like, all right, we'll you send your crosses in. We'll just make sure everybody's marked up pretty well. And, you know, it, it just seems like that's the case right now. But if the Hounds would take more chances and maybe, you know, Bob preaches runners in the box and, you know, that quick counterattack is, like you said, is so important maybe they're just not taking chances and trying to get, get forward too quickly. Cause he said this after the orange County match that he thought they, at least at that, in that match, they were going a little too fast. They were going hundred miles an hour in terms of trying to get the ball into the, get that second goal that would have gotten them a two goal lead at that point. And he wanted them to slow things down and be a little more th- methodical. And so it's just interesting. At what point do you, play with some a little bit more sense of urgency at what point you don't so but two more games to go sacramento away in california not going to be an easy match against really the darlings of us usl and the darlings of of united states soccer this year that's true and, and then they have to come home and play oakland roots who last night defeated uh, the birmingham uh, i'm trying to get my the results correct yeah i believe they defeated the birmingham no is that right I, I think know. Birmingham beat them one nothing. Okay, so well, I know Birmingham's at, at fifty six points. That's that's we do know that. Um, but yeah, anyway, the late the late game, the Oakland Roots did win their match. Um, I, I'm pretty sure. So oh, nice. Then you're right, and I'm wrong. Right, right. It was it was after my bedtime. I was tired and asleep. <laughs> yeah, no, I had it up here and uh, I, I tweeted and everything. But no, yeah. The, but the point is, is that we're looking. You know what? This is my final question for you is really what do we expect the next two weeks? And is this team, do you, can they realistically go on the road and win? I do think they can, if they just kind of stick to this, but open things up a little bit more. Right. And I think uh, one of the things that Bob was basically saying last night was home playoff game is not on the table anymore. Like the, that's, that's not an option. There are a lot of reasons why that's the case. Um, even if they get all the points, one of them is very simply that between the hurricane and um, some other late season um, issues, Tampa Bay has four games in hand, whereas the river hounds, you know, only have two left. So um, yeah, it, we're, we're looking at finishing the river hounds are looking at finishing, you know, five, six, worst case scenario seventh and so you're really thinking about positioning yourself so that you get the you, you don't have to play the, the the toughest team um and i think you you nailed it which is to say this team needs to figure out whether it can win on the road um and how well they're going to match up against the beasts of the west i think Coach Lilly believes that the East Coast has more quality to it than the West Coast, that the Western Conference, Bob said something like, if we were currently playing, you know, in the Western Conference, we'd be in third. And, you know, that shows that the East has been better over the season. What I think they're going to try and do for the next two weeks is work out some kinks, but I don't really think, and and I think play their best soccer to get into position. I do not think from talking to Bob all this year that he thinks about concepts like momentum or being a road team um, conventionally. He's very, very, he's always been very, very focused on the opponent, the opponent. We match up well against the opponent. We played well against the opponent. We highlighted our strengths and did not let them highlight their strengths. Like he's very focused. You know, if you ever ask Bob Lilly in post game about, a game two games away or three games away he will not answer it and neither will any of the players they will the mantra that they stick to is we're just thinking about next week right and the question that you and i probably have on our minds going into the postseason is does that mentality does that mentality work um is focusing game to game to game to game going to work for them you know, they're going to be in the playoffs this year. It's the first time in a couple of years that there's been a meaningful you know, last year. There was a COVID game that got mm-hmm. wiped out um, the year before that. They got bounced from the 
Did they make the playoffs in that weird 2020 year? I don't they remember did. The they actually were cruising until the very end of the regular season. They had the weird loss right. to Hartford. And then just right. for whatever reason, that that cost was, them a home playoff. Right. And they had to go to Louisville, which right. was like the worst matchup. Otherwise, I thought right. that team – but Bob wasn't that – even if you talk to him a year or two or after that season, he wasn't that high on that team uh, for a couple of reasons um, we could probably get into a different time. But, yeah, anyway, nice. yeah. And uh, then, and then you, yeah. you have to go all the way back to uh, Bethlehem Steel first-round playoff game and I guess that was 2018. Well, the uh, Louisville in 19, you know, that was yeah. – they had home field for the whole – they would have had home field to the, to the final. And, yeah, I mean, it's just the team is that. So what we're moving towards is an end game for the Riverhounds, where they're trying to figure out, you know, is this is this team built for a, a decent playoff run? Right, a deep playoff run would just be nice at this point because um, the Riverhounds have not really proven that. And it, on paper, right now, because they're not high up in the table, they look like a team that's like you know one mm -hmm. and out realistically. But I think you and I both think that this this club could surprise because they've probably underachieved a little bit throughout the season. There are some really talented weapons there. When Dequa is hot, he is really, really dangerous. Um, you know, the back line is, I think, the kind of big question mark. But we all think, I think you and I both think those individual defenders can be really, really fantastic. Like, I think Arturo Bardonius is having like a rookie of the year type season as a yes. center back. Um, just a wonderful and guy from USL, you know, championships, top analysts right. that too. And I know he has a lot of say, and I don't know who's, you know, we're all going to be voting on those things. But, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I mean, and we could keep talking all day mm -hmm. about, you know, what makes this team as good. The individuals are very good and whether they can be the, some of their parts going into the playoffs is a big question. Well, I, you know, I think, I think it's going to be right. I think that the Riverhound fans, the one thing I, I just wouldn't panic about is the fact that this is a team with a lot of veteran leadership guys that won't, you know, they'll, they'll be ready come whatever, October 21st, right? right. That day, they right. will be ready to play. And Kenny wants, Kenny wants to be there. Mikel wants to be there. Kenny, Kenny Forbes, Mikel Williams. Guys who've been there, guys who've been or career guys, um, Robbie Mertz, who has been with this team for most of their years and kind of like not quite making it. These guys are hungry and they're excited. And I think that they they will focus the boys. Absolutely. So we will focus on on the next two weeks. And then at that point, after the playoffs positioning is all finalized, uh, we'll definitely get back together and and preview the heck out of whatever the playoff matchups are going to be. So, Mark, uh, thanks so much for joining me on soccer, sounding off on soccer here. Um, we've got an outro. We're going to transition to um, I'm going to bring Dominic Campbell on in a, in a few minutes and uh, pit men's soccer. Uh, just kind of stunning that they've lost the last two matches. So I'm curious to, to hear more from Dominic to see uh, his get his thoughts on uh, you know what he's seen in person those last two matches yeah. all right we were just talking with mark goodman about the riverhounds and their struggles and uh, they're, they're kind of limping towards the playoffs they're going to be in the playoffs but another team i i think kind of surprisingly struggling right now pit men soccer there's so many so many good stories in pittsburgh soccer and i, I feel bad that we have to spend most of this podcast kind of drowning in the uh the sorrows of uh, the Riverhounds and, and uh, Pitt men's soccer team, which I, I can't think of the last time they've lost two consecutive matches, but uh, with me, uh, Dominic Campbell, Dom, Dom is money on tr Twitter. And uh, we were just really happy to have you contributing. And, and I mostly so far at Pittsburgh soccer now uh, helping us with Pitt, uh, Pitt men's soccer coverage, Dom. It's great to have you here. Yeah, it's great to be with you. I love covering Pitt sports and Pitt soccer is always fun. Men and women both great coaches, good programs right now. So it's exciting to see. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you were covering Pitt before, with the Pitt News, I believe, right? And you've kind of, so you're a Pitt guy, right? Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh. Um, Pitt was a pretty easy choice for me. Not the, Obviously, I didn't want to do sports journalism for a while. <laughs> it doesn't have the great sports journalism, but great access to good D1 teams and ACC conference. So all the sports are very competitive. Good experience there so i spent about three years at the pit news um 
finally getting back into sports journalism after the pandemic kind of messed up my uh, career a little bit. Right. But, um, um, yeah. I can imagine you could right really be out there <laughs> that year. Yeah, no, could not be out there. There was no, <laughs> no sports. <laughs> Um, yeah, we were all sitting back here in these Zoom podcasts and kind of watching things from afar, the games that when they did finally start get playing and stuff. But no, it's been great to have you and uh, being out at the uh, Pitt games. I know you've been also for Pittsburgh sports now, uh, you're covering uh, Pitt football as well. Yeah, I'm helping with Pitt football coverage um, and I'm doing a lot of Pitt volleyball coverage. They're obviously another team that's really good program and you got to cover them. And then basketball season soon to come. So it's all coming very very fast well but we'll just tell everybody yeah all of our soccer uh diehards that listen to this you know dom so pittsburgh sports now um will cover all the pit teams and so we'll look for your coverage um there as well but dom yeah friday night uh it, it's a second consecutive friday night second consecutive loss uh for pit so we i you know we they lost louisville on the road okay it was kind of acceptable they fell down one. They fell behind one nothing Friday night <clears throat> against Virginia, and they got one back. And I was thinking to myself, and I'm kind of kind of watching as as I best I could, but as I have so much confidence in this team, their ability to score and just kind of elect, kind of just take over a match, and it just never happened on Friday, did it? I mean, going down one nil in the first minute is not a good plan. And they also lost on that goal, Abelnadi. I think he plays like right or left back, but, but losing him for the rest of the game did not help them. They had to put somebody in. Uh, Malafeld, Mateo Malafeld played in his place. He did an all right job, but um, yeah, you can't give up a goal and they went down. But to be fair, Pitt had a lot of chances in that game. Like Jack Hassan was on tons of opportunities, um, crossing the ball in the box, trying to find somebody. Um, but really the only chance, the only goal they got was somewhat lucky. I mean, Valentin Noel got fouled and got a yellow card. Well, he didn't get a yellow card, but the person who fouled him was given a yellow card for bringing him down. And then for some reason they chose not to, uh, man him at all. No man defense on him. So he just waltzes right in and takes a shot from far out and gets a goal, ties the game up. So everyone was thinking, well, maybe, maybe they'll win this game, but, um, a bit poor defensive errors and just missed opportunities in offense really, uh, just did not help them in their quest to win. And they obviously lost three, one and well, their first home I, loss in three years mm, as well. I think it's so, a little concerning that early in matches sometimes, and you know, they had their little lull last year too. They were, I think they started off two and two and, they, but they lost to two ranked teams on the road or something like that. It was West Virginia and Akron, I think, but it, it just, we're seeing the, I, the, this is the irony of all this is that they started this season off, and they, I thought they looked really good. They had to fill in a lot of holes defensively, but they got a couple of graduate student transfers to fill in at center back. Abdul Nadi as well as another experienced center back because he came from Notre Dame and then joined in with last year's team. And just even though with these kind of seasoned players in the back there, it just seems like the last few games, they're, they're just, there's just lapses. Or they're, are they just giving up too much space? I don't know. So early in the game to, to give up a goal to Louisville and then early in the game to give up a goal to Virginia, just I, – I would. what was Jay Vitovich's thought? Uh, what did he say after the match about that? I mean, he did say they played better against Virginia than they did against Louisville. And I understand to some extent because they created a ton of chances and right. some of those go their way. They could have won, you know, two – they could have won because they would have had better momentum, et cetera, et cetera. But – you know, they're not winning. They're not putting those goals in the back of the net and they're giving up goals. I mean, these last three games, they've given them eight goals. I think prior to those three wow. matches, the first five or six, they only gave up three. So they're in a bit of a, a lull here, a bit of a, I guess, a crudely word, like stinker defensively, just not at times. I don't think there's enough communication. And also at times they're not stepping to their man. They're a bit confused. They're too slow. Um, and that really doesn't help them at all. I, I think they probably need somebody faster on that defensive line at times because uh, the games I saw against Akron and Virginia, players are just running at them and they're getting, you know, either beat or they're just not stepping to the man quick enough and it's just too easy of a chance. Um, I, think, I think you're right on because I, I, even if I go back to the Marshall, their first loss, the back line, it was a couple speedy players got behind their their outside backs 
you know, the, the, the outside backs there and kind of just found room, got behind them and, and, you know, put a pretty easy goal past Vandersar. But yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a question mark. Um, and Jay's been playing around with the lineup a little bit too, because he's, uh, in terms of, like you said, Abdul Nadi is now out. And I don't think he has, I think on, on Jackson Gilman is obviously has also had an outstanding first early start to a season, but I think even in at left back, but that right back spot, he's, I mean, I think it was uh, a couple, he's kind of gone by committee. I mean, he's put a couple players that are midfielders. Um, I think Lucas Rosa was the main guy back there, but he came to Pitt as one of the top offensive players. He was the NEC player of the year at St. Francis. And now he's playing outside back. So I think it feels like it's a little bit, they scrapped their way, played really good defensively early on against Georgetown and West Virginia. I think kind of got exposed maybe against Marshall. And then you were at the Akron game and they, they also gave up a couple early goals there and they got down to nothing. Yeah. They're kind of just, I think their midfield is not doing good enough. I, I I saw like Almeida, Rodrigo Almeida give up a bunch of possession. That's not good for your defense. You can't have your midfield players giving up the ball because that makes it hard for them. They're on their back feet trying to defend, trying to you know get players offside or something like that. Um, Walty has just been pretty non-existent. That's not acceptable from a fifth-year player. He's a very good player. I mean, I've seen him since he was a freshman. He was starting in 2018. You know, he's a very solid player. But right now, not good enough. Um, Rosa hasn't done a lot. Merka. Murkovic's the only player on that midfield that's doing anything, but it's mostly from really long shots and free kicks, which is, you know, that's not really what you want from your main midfielder. You need them creating chances. And they're not they're not creating enough through the midfield. And defensively, the midfield is not doing enough to prevent attacks from happening at times. So that well, doesn't really help them. So right. they need the midfield to be stronger. Well, you, you mentioned Walty and Murkovic, and they they're the they're the guys that even though they're midfielders if Pitt is not kind of controlling the flow of the game, it's on them. I mean, they, they, I thought the first three, four games, like these two are going to be, they're playing at all American level. They, they, they don't need to score a lot of goals, but they, but defensively, you know, in front of the back four, it, their job is very important because at least Jasper Loffelson, especially, and maybe Jackson Gilman as well, that left back spot, they like to push those guys way upfield. So it puts a lot of pressure on their center backs. And right now they're just being exposed. I think that's kind of where what's happening. And, and they get put into these one-on-one situations and you don't have Arturo Adernas, who is a, you know, is an all American level MLS super draft player, uh, in the back there to, to handle those one-on-one situations anymore. And he's doing it for the Riverhounds now, but I, I, that's kind of where I see is like, they're, they're struggling a little bit in that, in those situations um, where they kind of get exposed and they're trying to recover. Um, but I, I don't know. I think this is, this is, but it's one of those things too. Like you said, they, they had a lot of chances and Yakuson especially, I think has been playing very, very well this year. But are they going to him too much? Are they sending diagonal balls his way? Are they just kind of playing it over to the right side and let him kind of freelance and do his thing and try to create um, good crosses and get shots? Uh, it, did you see a lot of that in the last two games you watched in person? I think they're relying on him too much to create everything offensively. Like, he is very talented. I don't think his first step is fast enough, but once he gets the ball and if he turns a defender, he's you know gone. He's, he's tall, lanky, which can – obviously be detrimental on the first touch, but is very beneficial when you're moving down the field and just spreading past defenders, which he can do. Um, and he's delivering a lot of crosses, but it's not like the pan, it's not like Pitt has a six, five, like striker who can just head balls in and score easy goals. Noel is a great player, but he's not a big guy. Um, and they're playing Michael Sullivan up top too, which is odd for me. Um, you know, Deer Lakes, a whippy old guy. Um, he's, mm-hmm. he's had some chances. He's gotten, to, he's almost gotten to the, some shots, but, Nothing yet so far. I don't really see him as a forward, but I guess if they need someone, he'll be there. But they re- again, they have to create to the midfield. When they played West Virginia, that second goal they scored, they had Rosa, Walty, and Almeida. They all co- collaborated on that goal. It was like a give and go. It was brilliant. That's the goal they need to score because relying on Jocasson on a cross, you know, that's just 
any team can just throw crosses in and hope for a goal, but you need to a great teams that want to progress the NCAA tournament, AC tournament, I'm assuming as well. You need to be able to put the ball through the middle and just work through that. Cause if you're not, then you're not going to score many goals. You're just going to hope and pray. And you don't want to hope and pray against the ACC uh, schedule that, that Pitt has. Right. And that left side, what's the solution there? Like, so yeah, if Jokicson's on the right side, who's your attacking left? That was Alexander Dexter's spot the last few years. And, you know, there's been kind of like Betiosa or Almeida or I didn't, you know, he was trying a couple different things. Josh Lucchini, who, you know, is a stellar player at, you know, Lehigh, obviously we all know him here at North Allegheny. He's in for one year as a graduate uh, student as well for this, you know, his last chance at the college level. And I know Josh has been getting a lot more playing time uh, lately too. And then, of course, Noah Hall comes out of nowhere and has that fantastic game. I think that was the Akron game. And, you know, yes. what's the answer over there? And, and have we, is there, because like you said, they want to get forward quickly um, and, and get quick, com either quick combination passes through the middle. And that's where Noel is effective because he, he'll, you know, he'll find those spots as they're moving like off the ball, find those spots where to get to they can get him the ball or from the width, you know, either Jocaso, but that left side last year, Alexander Dexter, really the last four years was rely always reliable coming from that side. But it seems like it's, it's been um, a little hit or miss this year on that left side. Yeah. I mean, obviously replacing Alexander Dexter is not an easy task for any coach. He's probably one of Pitt's best players ever. Um, but uh, Lucini's been odd. I, I don't know. They seem to play him on the wing, but he he's just looks like a striker to me. Tall guy, he he's a pretty striker. well. Mm -hmm. He missed like two easy chances against Akron. They could have won that game if he put those away. He should have put those away. Great cross from uh, Jacques Hasson and just didn't get onto it. But I thought that was better than just uh, what they were doing last Friday night against Virginia. Um, I really would rather see him as a striker role, and I'd rather like see Noel as an attacking midfielder, creating and trying to find Jacques Hasson on whatever side he's on, he seems to float around right or left. You know, he, he's right. everywhere on the wing. That's a good um, point. That is a good point. Jockison will, right. And they'll do that. Inter they'll interchange, like move from, he'll go to the left side sometimes and then switch out with whoever's on the right. But yeah, on the left. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, are they just in a funk right now? Do you think they'll, they'll kind of figure it out? I mean, even Jay and his post-game comments seem pretty, like, okay, we're we're doing good things. I know the result wasn't great. Yeah, Jay's an experienced head coach. He knows when his team is either doing terribly or is just, like, struggling a bit at the moment. I think Pitt's struggling a bit at the moment. Um, these are mistakes they can clear up. It's not like, a, it's not like oh, they're, they're playing good defense, but they're still giving up goals or just not doing things properly. It's just a few mistakes here and there. Like, the third goal they gave up, uh, Malifel just – he tried to pass it back, but – um, it was just not a good pass back. And then Horton ran right on it. Vandersaw was too far in goal because he was not expecting the pass and two defenders were too far away. Um, it wasn't a good pass. That, that's just a mistake you can clean up and just be like, Hey, like we can't be doing this, but um, yeah, a little bit of a funk. I think still, I think some of the formation issues we've talked about are things they need to fix against better teams. I mean, Clemson comes in next week. They cannot be playing like this against better teams. I mean, Akron is a good team and Virginia is a solid team as well, but, Clemson's one of those better teams that they want to be, especially if they want to win the ACC title. Well, and no days off in the ACC. And we knew that coming into the Virginia game, even though Virginia's, you know, for some reason wasn't getting too much respect in the national rankings, but two and one in the ACC, they've had, I guess they were six and three heading into the match. So overall, I mean, this is, you just can't, there's no matches in the ACC where you can take a day off or have a game where you're, you know, you may be on a front foot, but you're not finishing. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think they got to tighten things up in the back for sure. And, I, it, but like you said, Jay is an experienced coach. He's been there. And now, yeah, like you said, Clemson's coming up uh, and it's not an easy schedule. They've got the, they, they're, they're looking down the stretch at, um, you know, whoever you play, whether it's Clemson and then they're going to go on the, they'll have Denver. It's interesting. They have some home games that will be kind of maybe to reset their button a little bit. Uh, Denver, who's always tough, uh, will come in for a non-conference uh, match uh, the following Monday, and then it's then they've got to travel uh, to Virginia Tech, 
Uh, and then the fun one should be playing. I've never, I don't think they've ever done this is play Duquesne late in the season. And now we're, we see what kind of season Duquesne is having. Uh, that should be really interesting because last time these two played the beginning of last year, Duquesne, it's just hard to believe how far Duquesne has come. They lost that, that seven, nothing uh, pit beat Duquesne. I, I, it just, I know Duquesne is focused on the A-10, but I know they definitely want to put up a good showing against Pitt uh, in the return match. And then they've got to finish up with Duke, who just beat number one Wake Forest, and then Notre Dame, who was absolute Achilles heel for Pitt last year. Uh, it's it's not going to be easy, is it, Dom? No, it will not be easy. Um, like you said, those two non-conference games are against solid opponents. Uh, Denver, as you said, has always been solid. They're ranked right now. I think Duquesne just lost the game, so they might not be ranked, but they're still in that conversation, and that's not an easy game. Um, and the ACC is unforgiving. You, you don't get excuses. And obviously, Jay Vidovich, who's coached at Wake Forest before and won a title there, he he knows that. Um, so Pitt's going to have to figure some things out defensively, be better in the midfield, and convert some of those chances. Because if they don't, uh, they'll go down the ACC as fast as uh, we can say, uh-oh. So you don't want that happening. But I, I'm assuming Pitt will get back to winning ways in the future, uh, at least pit fans can hope because if they don't, it's not going to be fun because they don't have any easy games coming up. Definitely not. And somehow on the other side, and it's finally all come together for the women. You know, Randy Waldrum, we know, we knew that coming in that he was going to turn the program around. And there's no doubt that he already has. They've had successful seasons, but they haven't been able to get over the hump in terms of the ACC competition, playing and beating and getting some signature wins. And now all of a sudden, you know, they beat Louisville the other day. They finally get a ranked, they beat a ranked Notre Dame team. There's just so much momentum. And then you were here, you were a student when it was just starting to come together uh, and you were watching it too, probably. Uh, it's really been remarkable to see what Pitt women are, are doing right now. Yeah, really. I remember when Waldrum got uh, signed up by uh, Pitt and I was like, you know what, this guy's going to be pretty good. I interviewed him. Definitely has a story history within the women's game. Um, and uh, he really is one of the best coaches that he could have gotten. I'm pretty sure they're paying him a pe pretty penny, but I'm pretty sure they're uh, joyous as to what the results are now. This is a program that started in 96 and really hasn't seen much success at all. They haven't been to a postseason since 2010. And even as good as Waldrum is, it's taken years to really get this team to be solid. And now they are. Even without their best player in Amanda West, right. she's out for the season, they're still playing really well. And, and that's what good teams do, and really most of it is defensively. They've given up so few goals. I mean, it's really a testament to Randy Waldrop, his staff, and the players he's bringing in. They are really growing as a team, and it's great to see as a Pitt fan. Absolutely. When you think about that, that's a testament of his recruiting and bringing in the high-level players that can just step in. I mean, they're not reliant on Amanda West, just like the men back in 2017 and 18 and 19, it felt like they were relying on Edward Kiza. But then when Kiza left the program, kind of surprisingly, and um, then nobody saw that coming, they, they, they were then they had the even better team. So it was all about building a winning culture and building a program where all of a sudden players from all around, not just the country, but around the world want to go to Pitt and play at Pitt. So, um, you know, you've been around that environment and that it, being at Ambrose and, and the Pitt soccer facility. It, it's really something, isn't it? Yeah, it's a nice, uh, it's a really nice stadium right there on top of the hill. It's a beautiful sunset. At least one Friday night was a beautiful uh, orange sunset. And obviously for the fans, it's a great atmosphere, you know, especially in the press box, you hear them banging on the, the bleachers. Um, but you also have fans right behind the goal mm -hmm. and all around. So great experience. If you're a fan, um, and obviously if you are more interested in going to some of these games, you should actually get out and see some of these uh, games coming up in the next few weeks. Absolutely. I think, and that's been a kind of a recurring theme is like, you got to get to a pick game. I mean, the atmosphere is fantastic. And, and it really, every match I've been to this year, last year, really going back to when they first made the NCAA tournament, it's just been an electric atmosphere. It's a real positive thing uh, for soccer in Pittsburgh. And just to see, we'll always have over a thousand people and completely surround the field. Um, even when the weather's bad, it seems like people still find them, make their way out there. So do you have a favorite uh, pit soccer experience in your, in your time covering pit soccer? Um, I just think when I first started, I mean, I, I don't think people remember, but Pitt didn't get their first ACC win in right. the men's for the men until 2017 and just covering that team and seeing Dexter and, 
Giza and let them grow. It, it was just so great to see that year, even if they struggled at times, which they did. They didn't win a ton of games, but they were winning. They were doing, they were successful and it invigorated hope into a program that had none for years. Um, and just for the women's program, um, I saw them struggle a lot, but I could see that, you know, Waldrum had a plan and you could see the players that were going to play. And you're like, okay, these players will get better and better. And over the years, they'll be better. And my senior year was 2019. So 2022, some of those players are still there. They're still playing great. And, but I guess my favorite soccer moment, hmm, I think seeing them win in the ACC champ uh, semifinals, that first game they host against NC State in overtime was great. I think that was great there's game. so many fans there. Mm-hmm. It was packed and people were so excited to see that team. And, you know, I, I always tell people, if you want people to show up to your pit sporting event, you got to win games. And when, when Pitt started winning games, people showed up and they were very excited. Kids come out, students come out, parents come out. Any soccer fans of all around come out. It's some of the best soccer you can see in the city, really. Well, and I, I look, I um, connect that uh, the parallel with Pitt men's basketball because for years, I'm a lot older than you. So, but I can tell you, like in the 90s, like there was that period where, I mean, you would go to Fitzgerald Fieldhouse and it would be, you know, because it was such a small, it was small and you could still pack everybody in there and it'd still be a decent atmosphere. But when they opened up the Pete, and then the expectation was this program, they, there was no expectation at that point because they hadn't been very successful for much of the nineties. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, they make a run to the big East final the next few years. It just, it just absolutely took off. And Peterson event center was the place to be in Pittsburgh, uh, bar none, any sporting event uh, when Pitt basketball was at its peak in the two thousands and, you know, there's something to be said for that. And they were so successful uh, and, and they were winning team. And I think that's the same with the two soccer programs now. And I think it's going to be exciting. I don't even know how we're going to keep up with Pittsburgh's soccer now. I mean, we're going to have, we get, we put a lot of into our WPIL, the high school soccer coverage. The Riverhounds will be in the playoffs by middle of October. Both Pitt and, Pitt and, Pitt and, Pitt men and women's soccer teams are going to be most likely playing in ACC and potentially NCAA tournament postseasons. We're going to have our hands full, aren't we, Dom? Yeah, we really are going to have our hands full. Lots of games coming up. Um, it should be great to see. A lot of great coverage coming up. Um, I'll be there next uh, Friday against Clemson. That'll be a great game. So if you're like, what do I got to do with some soccer around uh, next weekend? Uh, yeah, Pitt, Clemson, that'll be a ranked game. Uh, should be a great one. And uh, you don't want to miss that. Absolutely not. Definitely. And so we'll look forward to that. And then Pitt women, like now they've got to play the big, the big lady, the big teams, the Duke, North Carolina, Florida state. I cannot wait to see how they handle those matchups because this, they're at that level now. Can they get, can they break through and be say like, we can hang with those three. Um, and I think they're going to, they're going to do it. I think they're going to do a good job, uh, make a good effort for that, but yeah, should be a very exciting next month or so. Um, we'll be all that we'll be there all the way through uh, with Pittsburgh soccer. Now, Dominic, thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for all your coverage of Pittman soccer. Um, it's tough for me to get to every match. So having you uh, help out with that, it, it's been a huge, huge help. Yeah, no problem, John. I, I always love covering Pitt soccer and soccer as a whole. It's a great sport. You know, can't get any better than uh, Ambrose and Bernick Field on a Friday night in the fall. Nothing better than that. All right. Sounds good. Thanks again, Dom, for joining us on Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh on sounding off on soccer. Have a good one, Dom. Thank you.